Hello and welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York, on the unceded homelands of the Mohican people, known today as the Stockbridge-Munsee community. I'm Sina Basila-Hickey. And I'm Kaelin Alexander McPherson. Today on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, we first get an overview of Governor Hochul's proposed state budget with policy correspondent Mark Dunley. Then Bria Barthel talks with Carol Roberts to tell us about the upcoming events at the Troy Public Library. He, later on, Hugh Johnson gives us a lesson on snow formation and a weather update for this cold weekend ahead. After that, Brad Moncal interviews David Britton about his comedy works, including a podcast and albums. And finally, this week, poetry highlights coming from Andrea Cunliffe, who interviewed Jose Perez back in 2021. All that, but first, here are your headlines. Governor Kathy Hochul raised $6.3 million for her 2026 re-election campaign, the largest six-month haul ever reported by a candidate in New York this early in the election cycle. There has been speculation that she may not seek re-election. The governor also raised $2.5 million for the state Democratic Committee since last summer. Hochul set the record, even though new campaign finance rules that went into effect last January, lowered the maximum donation from $70,000 to $18,000. A new study by the International Mon- Monetary Fund warns that 40% of workers globally have jobs that will be affected by artificial intelligence or AI. Mature economies such as the United States have even higher exposure. The Times Union reports that city and county officials are disputing which levels of government in Albany is responsible for more than 700 seniors paying higher property taxes this year. Problems arose with respect to local government action needed to take advantage of increased state income limits for senior property tax exemptions. Joseph's House, Rensselaer County's only cold blue shelter, is filled up as homeless individuals seek shelter during this current cold spell. Many people are having a hard time finding affordable housing. Create Community Studios is kicking off their opening of the new studio in Hudson Art House Apartments, 621 Art Street in Troy, with an Art Open House on January 26th from 5.30 to 7.30. Create is a nonprofit that offers low-cost workshops and open studios for kids, teens, and adults to, prom- to promote art making and creativity as a way to increase their general well-being. Times Union reports that the Fuhrer Building, the Atrium, and Uncle Sam's parking lot are among major properties in downtown Troy for sale after developer David Bryce turned them over to the, his lender, BLC Companies California. Meanwhile, the city of Troy is about to issue a request for proposals during proposals to develop a city hall. And that's it for your headlines. For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to Hudson Mohawk Magazine, listener-supported radio that builds community in Troy and the surrounding capital region through broad grassroots participation. Our content is produced by volunteers. To learn how you can contribute, go to mediasanctuary.org or email us at hmm at mediasanctuary.org or call 518-272-2390. Tuesday, January 16th, 
Governor Kathy Hochul released the proposed 2024 to 2025 state budget a week after the state of the state, which we discussed with Mark Dunley last week. So this is the official start to negotiations with the legislature over a final budget, which is supposed to be adopted by April 1st, the start of the state's fiscal year. But last year, it went a month late. With all of the state legislators up for re-election this year, there's more pressure to adopt an on-time budget. We're joined by Mark Dunley, one of our policy correspondents, to discuss the budget. Mark, hello. What are some key highlights? Well, um, as you pointed out, much of the big news was already announced in the governor's state of the state address last week. That tend to be where you get, you know, sort of the positive, upbeat news. Perhaps the biggest news today was the size of the budget which at $233 billion is $4 billion more than the largest budget ever, which was adopted last year. And it's probably going to grow a little bit larger as lawmakers always want to add in a little more for their key programs, and that starts with funding for local school districts. One surprise is that the revenue picture is not quite as bleak as the governor has been saying for the last few months. While she still taught today about a $4.3 billion revenue shortfall for the upcoming budget year, she announced that revenues for 2023 came in at about $2.2 billion higher than last year. Uh, she wants to use that money to prepay some future bills, but the legislature will certainly have the opportunity to spend it this year. The governor has insisted that she is not going to raise taxes to deal with the deficit or to increase spending. So were no tax increase proposals included in her plan? That's correct. Um, I will say that progressive tax or progressive lawmakers are hoping to continue to push for at least a small tax increase on the very wealthy, who, unlike many New Yorkers, have done quite well post-pandemic. Um, lawmakers also likely to fight over how much to spend on this, how much to spend of the state's rather robust rainy day funds. I believe somewhere in the order of about $20 billion to cover both the deficit and to increase spending in key areas. The governor, however, says she wants to keep 15% of the state operating budget in the rainy day funds in order to cover any potential future shortfalls. So what was missing from the state of the state was any acknowledgement of the crisis of asylum seekers being shipped from New York City, uh, from Texas to New York City and other border states. Um, what is that? What is there in the budget? Well, the governor has another little bit of a surprise. She came in and said she wants $2.4 billion um, to help New York City with the migrant crisis, which is $500 million dollars more than last year's allocation and it actually appears that overnight uh, she decided to add on another 500 million dollars by dipping into the state's, the state's rainy day fund. Um, both her and New York City Mayor Adams you know do hope that the federal government will pick up more of the cost but this is a red-hot political issue both in Congress uh, and, and particularly in the 2004 presidential election. Um, so good chance we're not going to see more money from the federal government. The package includes at least uh, $1 billion for migrant shelter costs. Uh, it will also help pay for case management and medical and legal bills and services designed to help individuals you know, connect with jobs. Um, among the shelters, they're gonna, the state's going to take over funding about 3,000 beds, including those at Creedmoor, which is the uh, state's psychiatric hospital in Queens, 
and also at Randall's Island. And the two biggest spending categories, education and health care, how did they fare? Well, there's still half the budget. They both did see increases, uh, though the media stories kind of say that they feel the education spending is probably on the low side. And this would give lawmakers, all whom are facing re-election, the opportunity to add some additional funding to win favor with local voters. Um, and in fact, the, the one part of the state's budget that most lawmakers actually look at are the spreadsheets detailing how much funding their local school districts are going to get. Still, the governor argues that the $825 million increase in educational spending um, would bring it to $35 billion and would be the highest ever, uh, a 20% increase uh, during her tenure. You know, with uh, 2.4 million students, the state is spending $26,571 per pupil, the highest in the country, and 85% more than a national average. She is, however, proposing that some of the state's wealthiest school districts might actually see a reduction in funding. As you may remember, the state was under court order to be more equitable in its distribution of school funds. Um, that is now ended, but during that process, there was a hold harmless clause so that the wealthier school districts wouldn't lose any of their funding. She's finally saying um, now may be time to revisit that. Um, healthcare is going to see a big increase, about $3 billion a year, uh, particularly for the Medicaid program. Um, one, of people, one thing pe most people don't realize that Medicaid actually, the big cost increases these days is for senior citizens because when us get old and have to go into nursing homes or long-term care, it's actually that's paid for by Medicaid, not by Medicare. Also, um, several hundred thousand New Yorkers who were receiving um, expanding Medicaid because of different rules during COVID, they're still on the program. They expected more to have dropped off, and, and that's going to you know, increase costs. She did not propose, however, any single-payer health care system, which would save billions of dollars by getting rid of insurance and administrative overheads. And last week, Governor Hochul announced that she's going to propose much of the New York Heat Act, which would end the so-called 100-foot rule for free extensions of gas pipelines for new hookups and would require state agencies like the Public Service Commission to change their rules to reflect the state's new climate law. So any new information around this climate or the environment? Well, I've been reading state budgets for literally 50 years, and I cannot remember a state budget document which was so thin about the environment and energy issues. Uh, certainly, there was not any sense that she's treating climate emergency as a major uh, priority. One thing she did add on, um, partly uh, related to the HEAT Act, was a $50 million fund to cap utility bills at 6% of low-income household incomes if they convert to 100% electricity. Um, one pretty shocking thing is that she wants to cut in half the $500 million a year uh, that Governor Cuomo first back in 2017 uh, began to uh, invest for the Clean Water Infrastructure Act, which provides grants to local governments for drinking water and wastewater projects. Advocates had actually been hoping to increase it by $100 million, not cut it. Hard to see how the legislature is going to go along with that. However, it is possible that the governor feels that with the federal government putting more money on the table, uh, the state may get about $2.6 billion in federal funding 
poor water infrastructure projects. So that may be the reason she's trying to do such a big cut. Okay, so where do we go from here? Well, um, there are really a lot of other key parts of the budget, which you don't have time to talk to about tonight. Um, affordable housing certainly, once again, on the table, though uh, Governor Hochul's idea is not generating a lot of support from either state or local elected officials. Mental health, uh, another one of her priorities. Um, and certainly the anti-poverty groups will be pushing for more funding for human services, particularly child care and a long-delayed hike in welfare benefits. Budget is supposed to be in place by April 1st, which is the start of the new fiscal year. Uh, beginning now, over the next month, lawmakers will hold a series of public hearings with the head of the various state agencies. Um, basically, um, in early March, the two houses and the governor are supposed to come together and figure out how much revenue they actually have to spend. As part of this budget dance, lawmakers always want a little higher number, which gives them more flexibility to add on more money. Mid-March is when the Senate and the Assembly both pass one-house budget resolutions, which basically outlines what their key positions is. And that's when the sausage-making starts, a mad scramble largely behind closed doors, with a lot of horse trading to come up with a finished product, and Hudson Mohawk Magazine will try to be there taking you into that back room. Oh, this is great. Thank you so much. Um, is there anything, we do have another 30 seconds. I know that health, uh, child care is an important topic for you that you have a lot about. Do you want to add some 30 seconds on that category? Well, every year they add on more money to child care. They're always trying to, you know, advance the income level. When I lived in England in 1966, like most industrial nations, they had universal child care. But somehow the United States can't figure out uh, how to do that. And as we say, people on welfare tend to leave and become employed once we start the free universal child care program in the United States, which is kindergarten and now pre-K. Thank you so much, Mark, for that overview of the proposed 2024-2025 state budget in New York State by Governor Hochul. Thank you, Sina and Kaylin. Have a great show. Thank you. Bye. There's, there are many events coming up at the Troy Public Library. Bia Barthel stops by to talk with Kel Roberts, head of Young People Services, about events not just for kids, but also adults. Bria? So as always, Troy Public Library has wonderful events coming up in, the, in this month as in all months. So Carol Roberts from Young People Services is here to tell us about some of the events for kids. Well, we have some new things coming up. Um, starting in February, we're going to have um, Yoga at the Library at 1 p.m. on Saturday, February 3rd. And this is for kids ages 7 to 12. Um, and then on February 1st, our winter reading challenge will begin, and our theme is a chill winter reading club. And by that we mean this is kind of um, a relaxed version of our summer reading program. And it's only for a month, but kids can sign up on our website, figure out what their reading goal is, and uh, they can read for those four weeks between February 1st and March 1st, and then at the end, they'll get a prize and a free book to keep. And can you say a little bit more about the yoga? You nicely brought up a uh, flyer for it. Is this a one-off or is this repeating? And it says, bring a mat if you have one, please. Do you have to bring a mat, a yoga mat? 
We have some, um, but we're, we have a few extras, um, but we're encouraging people to bring their own if they have one, or children anyway. And um, this is a one-off, but we'll probably be doing it again at some point. Um, if it's successful and then we get enough kids, then yes, we would definitely be repeating it. So yoga for kids 7 through 12 on Saturday, February 3rd at 1 p.m. I lied when I said these were January events. And then a chill winter reading challenge February 1st to March 1st for ages 3 to 18. Call to register or sign up online. Anything else? Yes, um, we have a lot of our usual um, events. We have um, an anime movie night coming up on February 1st from 5 to 7 p.m. And you can join us for snacks and a movie. Come on your own or bring friends to watch an anime movie with us at the main library. And we'll be watching the movie Suzume. And this is for ages 13 to 18. We have a teen game night, which is the first Tuesday of the month from 6 to 7. And kids can play video or board games. Um, and it's a great uh, place to hang out with other teens and enjoy snacks. Okay. And then I know that you usually have make and take activities. Anything going on with that? Yes. Uh, this month, we're going to have a scarf kit for both teens and for younger children. And so they can learn how to make a fleece scarf and uh, there'll be some goodies in there as well. And those are kits you can pick up and take home to do them at home? Yes, they're available in the young people's room and also in the teen section, um, which is our YA area, which is in the back, to the, the back left corner of the main library on the first floor. Okay, so that's all at the Troy Public Library's main branch. Oh, I have one more program I wanted to bring up. On Feb Thursday, February 15th, we're going to have a musical story hour with Deborah Cavanaugh. Um, she's a wonderful musician, who we've, a folk musician who we've had previously. And that'll be lots of fun. And that's part of our regular story time program, which is Thursdays at 1030. Terrific. So thanks a lot, Carol. Thank you, Bria. So Troy Public Library has a lot going on this month and into February. And here to tell us about some of the adult activities are Michael Gregg from usually the, the Lansingburg branch, but right now currently because of flooding at the Lansingburg branch, the main branch. Michael, what do you have to tell us about? Well, we've got a bunch of wonderful programs for January. I guess I will start with our uh, long-running programs. Um, so first up, let me plug the Happily Ever After Book Club, which is our romance book club. Um, and this month, they read The Dead Romantics by Ashley Poston. I haven't read it, but uh, I've heard it was excellent. Um, and that is always the first Wednesday of the month. So if you would like to join that book club, please stop in and grab a copy of the book, and they will meet the first Wednesday in February. Um, on the 20th of January, we've got an author talk. Um, J.T. McGee uh, will come in and talk about his new release called Thrall, and it's a vampire mystery and thriller that is set right here in upstate New York, and he will be talking about the novel reading selections and taking questions from audience members. We've always got our knit and crochet group going on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m., so 
If you've got handy hands, please come down. Um, that's a very active group, and I know everybody learns a lot by working together with their knit and crochet. And the room we're in, actually, a second-floor room, has a lot of different yarns and crochet needles and things. So it seems like even if you don't have your own yarn or you want to check things out, they've got supplies here. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> but I think so, yes. <laughs> um, uh, Did I mention he's usually at Lansingburg? <laughs> yes, I am a little out of my depth here, so audience, please bear with me. Um, but what else do we have this month? I, here's one that I personally am very excited about. Steeped in success, the ABCs of tea. So uh, come down to the library and an employee from the Whistling Kettle is going to give an in-depth talk on everything tea in celebration of National Tea Month, which is January. Uh, I certainly have been drinking a lot of tea this month and I'm very excited to learn more about what I'm drinking. I've been stuck on the same brand for 25 years, so maybe I'll learn something new. And... What's the date for that tea thing again? Uh, that is Thursday, the 25th of January at 6 p.m. Sounds great. Anything else? We had a very popular jewelry making workshop this month that was overflowing with people who wanted to join. So we're having another jewelry making workshop on February 15th here at the library. And if you'd like to participate in that, I would recommend you sign up very soon because slots are filling up. Um, and I would always like to promote our adult coloring event, which is one of my favorite things to do at the library. Even when I leave my shift, I usually come back for that one. Um, and that is always on our Monday. So this one is February 19th in the evening. Um, and we provide beautiful coloring sheets, very nice colored pencils. Our librarian curates a playlist of songs to color to, and then she will read a short story every month while you color. So you can, you can learn and you can color all at the same time. What kind of short stories are usually featured? It's usually Chloe, our programming librarian, who chooses them, and she's got uh, interesting and varied tastes, so I don't, I don't even know what she'll be reading this month, but I, she has certainly read some funny stories in the past. She's read some heartfelt stories in the past. So I don't, I don't know. Come down on February 19th and you can find out. And this sounds like it's another activity where the supplies are provided. Yes, indeed. We will provide very nice coloring pages printed out on cardstock. And we have really nice colored pencils and like watercolor markers for you to work with. And going back to that tea presentation, do people get to sample teas or leave with teas? Yes, I should have led with that. There will be there will be tea prepared and provided at the event. So if you would like a cup of, please come on down to that. So we've got jewelry making and teas and coloring, uh, you know, knit and crochet. Boy, things have changed since I went to libraries as a kid. Well, we try to provide a wide swath of events, wide swath of events, excuse me. That sounds a little better. <laughs> um, um, that really runs the gamut of what our community might be interested in. So, so we try to have heady author talks as well as fun crafting programs and wonderful children's programs. So hopefully no matter what your interests are, you can find something to do here at the library. Okay, and between all of those activities and the library of things, having stuff you can take out, and museum passes. Now, I know I was talking with Carol Roberts about the children's reading challenge, winter reading challenge, but there's no winter reading challenge for adults, right? I don't believe we're doing one this year, no. We, we have in the past, on and off, 
Um, but I think this year it's going to be children's only. But I recommend that you do your very own reading challenge at home. Okay. Thanks a lot. That was Michael Gregg, again, library associate, usually at the Lansingburg Public Library, but currently for a few weeks at the main branch. Thanks again, Michael. Oh, it is my pleasure. And that website is thetroylibrary.org. For those of you just tuning in, I'm Sina Bazilahiki. I think Sina's having too much fun now. And I'm killing Alexander McPherson. You're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network on WOOC, LP 105.3 FM Troy, WOOG LP 2.7 FM Troy, WOOSLP 98.9 FM Schenectady, and WOOALP 106.9 FM Albany, and streaming online at mediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York. Let's talk about the weather. With retired National Weather Service meteorologist Hugh Johnson spoke with Sina Bazil Hickey about snow formation, how conditions change snow, and what snow squalls means. Hugh Johnson also reports that we need to bundle up on this upcoming weekend. It's now time for our weekly look at the weather with retired National Weather Service meteorologist Hugh Johnson. Good morning, Hugh. Good morning, Sina. We're speaking on the morning of Tuesday, January 16th, so we'll be mindful that this will rebroadcast on Wednesday morning. Um, There's a light snow currently falling outside my window, and I'm interested to discuss snow formation with you. So let's begin with what are the environmental circumstances that need to take place to create snow in just a very basic kind of terms. All right. So, you know, yeah, that's a good, good question. Uh, basically, you need, obviously, you need water, you need moisture, water vapor. You need that to be uh, condensed back into uh, snowflakes. And by the way, snowflakes are frozen water vapor, not frozen water. Uh, that would be freezing rain. So that's why they're nice, gentle crystals and not, not the ice crystals coming down that bounce off you. And uh, basically, you need some something to lift the snowflakes. And you also need to have them form... If you want optimal snow growth, you want a temperature somewhere between minus 12 to minus 18 Celsius or zero to 10 degrees Fahrenheit. That's the sweet spot where you get your maximum snow growth. When it gets colder, the snow tends to, the crystals tend to be smaller, more rod-like, and they don't accumulate as much. And when it's warmer, they can actually rhyme with super cool cloud drops that are actually you can have super cool uh, drops down to minus 10 Celsius or about uh, 20 degrees Fahrenheit, where they, even though it's below freezing, they are suspended as liquid in the cloud and not ice crystals. So are you saying the colder that it gets, the smaller the snow is? To a point. Uh, I, again, that, that sweet spot, zero to 10, but when it gets colder than that, what happens is the the, yeah, the crystals don't grow as big and, and you can't accumulate as much. You can still get snow. Now, it's never too cold to snow. That That's a myth. It can snow at, up at, at 30 below zero, but you, there's not much moisture in the atmosphere and the crystals won't be that big. So it will be hard to get a heavy snow. It's very hard to get a heavy snow when it's cold. Now, one other thing is you got to look at the whole integral of what's going on in the atmosphere, not just down on the surface, but all the way through 20, 30,000 feet on top of your head. And there is a very warm, juicy layer in there, which is what happens when we get heavy snow, the nor'easters, 
then you can get plenty of moisture through that column and you can generate a lot of snow crystals in that area. And then they come down the ground, even if it is colder than optimal down the ground. So again, it's a very complicated process. And this is why, obviously, we're looking at the atmospheric temperature. Sometimes it snows when it's above the freezing point, right? So it might be uh, like 36 degrees Fahrenheit or like four degrees Celsius, right? So sometimes we do get snow when it feels like, oh, is it cold enough to freeze? Yeah, absolutely. I've seen snow at 43, uh, especially in the spring. If the air is convect is unstable, very convective, very cold aloft, you can generate snowflakes that come down. They don't melt fast enough, especially when the air mass is dry. If, it, if it's dry, that means you get some evaporative cooling, which keeps the flakes cooler than the surrounding environment, as opposed to if it was 100% humidity at 40 degrees, it'd be very hard to keep that as probably with snow. But yes, absolutely. In fact, our big storm in 1987, the one that brought down the whole power grid, it never got below freezing during the whole storm. And uh, we had six and a half inches of very, very heavy wet snow. Oh, wow. And you were talking about the dryness of the atmosphere helping uh, with that. So um, how does snow differ in more humid versus drier climates? Well, in, in more humid, you have more moisture, so you can get more heavy snow. But if your temperature is above freezing, it's harder to keep it as snow. It will be more likely to melt, especially if it's a, uh, more than 33, 34 degrees. But again, if, you, if you're looking for a big snowstorm, you want it cold, but you want to have moisture nearby or somehow in the whole forcing mechanism that gets you a lot of moisture to work with. You know, And we've got the Atlantic Ocean right not that far away and, and the Gulf Stream. And uh, you know, even the moisture from the Gulf of Mexico. So it's not hard for us to get heavy snow out further west. It is Antarctica. When you go in interior in Antarctica, it's very hard to get heavy snow. It never happens. Uh, never happens much at Barrow, Alaska, because there's again, there's not a good source of juicy, relatively warm air nearby. You'll get plenty of snow, but it won't be the heavy stuff. Oh, this is so interesting. So why is it so challenging to forecast exact accumulations of snow? As we know, we might have like uh, a local state of emergency. You know, the government is told, you know, they overreacted or they underreacted. So why is this a, diff a challenge? Well, again, we, we discussed it. Part of it is the actual formation of the snowflake where it's coming through the cloud and then we're ultimately landing in the ground. Uh, you have that going for you. You got to figure out how much UPF or, or actual precipitation is going to fall. That's the first thing. And then you got to figure out the, the, the liquid to snow ratio. Now, our normal climatological liquid to snow ratio is about 13 to 1. And that's probably what we're getting today. So if we get like a tenth of an inch of liquid, we'll probably end up with um, uh, 1.3 into the snow, something like that. But again, it, again, these flakes, uh, if they go through certain layers and they get smaller or bigger, that kind of throws a monkey wrench. And uh, then you get into bands of precipitation where you get heavier areas of band and lighter ones nearby. So you can get like you know, rates of snowfall rates that are much smaller or, or, or greater, not that far from each other. So you see variations in that. There's, there's just so many things that come into play. That's why we give a range like two to four, three to five, because no one's going to get the exact same amount. I've seen it. In, in just a few miles, uh, uh, you can see a difference in, in snowfall sometimes. It's not just like 30, it's 35 someplace and 30. Yeah, we, obviously, if it's higher temperature, it's going to be wetter and less is going to accumulate. But even with uniform temperatures, it's it can be very challenging to get 
you don't get even amounts of accumulation. And of course, you throw elevation in, and that changes the whole thing too. You get more snow generally the higher elevations, even when it's everyone's below freezing because well, they just get more moisture and and that kind of thing. So it is a very very challenging process. So we're quickly running out of time, but I do have a couple more questions. One, just briefly, how has technology changed forecasting? Well, I mean, we we have, we have, we have much better models. Uh, better, we can actually look at soundings better than we could ever in, in the model. The actual, what the model will come up with the, with the, with the sounding when we're looking at the temperature and humidity and wind profile of the whole atmosphere, which helps gives us a clue what, what kind of snow we're going to have and 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 things like that. And miles can usually a lot of times they can try to pinpoint where the mesoscale bands are going to sh show up. Not the really small bandlets; they those are almost impossible. But the the big synoptic, um, and a lot of times you have a mesoscale band in a, in a big storm. Not so much today, but in, in bigger storms, and they're pretty good at that. So we have gotten better, but the, the devils are in the details. You still get areas where I mean, you still get surprises in almost every storm. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Okay, and what is a snow squall? Snow squall is an intense convective uh, burst of snow like we had on, on Saturday. That was impressive. Did you see that? That that was one of the most impressive ones I've seen here. We've had a couple of them like that, but it's very, very cold air aloft. You have a cold front coming through, a strong upper level uh, disturbance, and you get, you get basically the same thing that happens in summer, a very convective element as opposed to today's storm is synoptic there's no convective in it it's, it's basically a, a stratiform snow uh, it's more widespread lift whereas an intense lift with the convection and you and you know we can get sometimes lightning and you get that snow that falls in, in in 15 minutes you can pick up an inch of snow and have whiteout conditions and usually it brings down wind with the two so we it's basically the same exact mechanism that gives us thunderstorms in the summer but it's giving us these snow squalls in the winter Great. And we have about one minute left. So how does the week ahead look like in weather? Cold. Uh, definitely cold than we've been used to. Uh, still watching the system Friday. I'm not impressed. We could get a little snow from it earlier. It looked like it could be a big storm. It's still not out of the question. It could blow up, but it looks like it won't be a big deal. But what will be a big deal this weekend, coldest weather of the winter so far, near zero by Saturday morning. You heard that right. Fahrenheit. Near, yes, Fahrenheit. You got it. <laughs> so this weekend is going to be the coldest weekend thus far? Thus far. But after that, guess what? We're going to return to our normal boring program. The, the uh, polar vortex packs its bags and goes back up to the poles. And uh, we're going to go back to more normal, back to Pacific air mass for the next week and, and much quieter regime. So I uh, don't see any big snowstorms in sight now. I mean, I'm barring anything happening on Friday and today, which I don't think will. You know, we'll get a few inches today, but it's not a big snowstorm. All right. So we'll bundle up this weekend. Thank you so much, Hugh Johnson, for joining us and giving us that weather report. Yes. And have a great uh, week, everyone. <laughs> yep. You too. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks to Hugh for that report. Now, moving on to our fourth segment, we welcome back on our program, Brad Monkel, Jazz Sanctuary, and comedian himself. Hello, Brad. Hey, Kaylin. Thanks How for having me. How are you? Doing good. Sorry, I'm not in the studio tonight. It's okay. But... We're not all not in the studio. Staying safe because yeah. of the weather. Yeah, but good to be here regardless, and I'm happy to uh, bring with me tonight the very funny and multi-talented David Britton. 
Say hi to the people, David. Oh, thanks. I had to unmute real quick. That's how you can tell when you're getting old. Like, you know, I think old people like to be, these kids today can't read a map, all right? Cursive. Well, they know how to unmute themselves on Zoom, though. <laughs> Which skill is, like, more applicable, you know? You don't, you give, like, the, the youngest energy. I can't even remember how old you are, but... I, I'm very immature. Like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, David, I mean, D David, and I've been actually interviewed him before, Kalen. I mean, he and I go way back, and um, I'm a big fan of his first album, uh, The History of the Universe, but he actually has a new re album out now called Possum Pals with uh, Megan Gilbert. And I mean, I guess as a quick, like, you know, preview of the album, like, how, how would you describe someone coming into the album? How would you describe that concept of someone who's just finding out about the album? Oh, uh, well, you know, it's a split. And if you're like a, a punk guy, I feel like you like were a punk guy back well, in the day. It's, it's such punk. a cool, like a, it's an idea for the, the the album. Like no one does this, this by the way, like that I've seen in comedy. I'm sure like maybe you know better than me, but it is a very unique concept, which I love. Well, my, my very first album was a split like way back in the day with my friend uh, Kent Carney, who's a very funny comedian from Louisville. And I don't know, I think... Uh, I come from like a punk background where bands were always like, oh, we'll do one side of the 45 and you'll do the other side. And so it just made sense to me to, plus I didn't have another hour of material to put out a full length. Yeah. So I was like, <laughs> I'll do 25, you do 25. And it was fun. And Megan Gilbert's hilarious. People who have seen her know that. So uh, yeah, you'll get, you'll get a, we're very different comedians in a lot of ways, but we really have a deep appreciation of each other, I think. Yeah, no, I mean, I love the, I guess, the vibe of the album all around. It comes together so well as a, like a project. But I, I really do like feel you on that punk um, concept for an album. I used to have like, what was it? Uh, Rancid and No Effects's split. And... Yeah, they put out a split. And there was always no... compilations and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I, that is like a, a cool thing. I guess I haven't explored enough in comedians albums, but it is, you know, it's it's a just I, it's such a cool way to i guess apply that medium to comedy yeah and it was well there's uh there's comedians you should know which is uh originally out of chicago and i know they put out an album but it is much more rare in comedy because it's like you know stand-up comedy 99 percent of the time is a solo thing there's a couple duo acts who do actually the two duo acts i could think of are both twins there's yeah. the scalar brothers and yep. then the lucas but yep yep yeah those are they're both twins i guess you have to be that connected to be able to do but back in the day there was like george and gracie and like you know um, abbott and costello martin, was, short, martin short and uh steve martin and, yeah um i forgot they did that yeah the groucho they have their the brothers the marx brothers the marx brothers oh, yeah, right. yeah 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 there's a um the smothers brothers yeah, who are very... I didn't realize those guys, the Smothers Brothers, I didn't realize they were as subversive as they were. I read a biography about them, and they were always getting in trouble. They were like almost... Their show was almost about to be canceled a million times because the censors uh, were always mad at them. We think of them as like the yo-yo guy. Huh? But what? I would think of them as like the yo-yo guy, like the one guy... I forget if it was 
I always forget whose name is whose, but one of them always had a yo-yo and was really good with the yo-yo. <laughs> and that's how I remember them from a, you know, when I was a kid. That sounds like a character trait from like West Side Story or something. <laughs> <laughs> one guy with a West Side Story? I don't see. Well, let me ask you this, Brad. Who in West Side Story would have had the yo-yo? Um, Maria? Maybe, you think Maria was a, No, not Maria. Maybe Chino. But <laughs> you, I, maybe, you act maybe, like I'm crazy for saying it. I think you're crazy for saying what? someone in West Side Story. This tragic uh, okay, tale. Not, not Chino. Not Chino. Maybe like Ice, like the guy who's the, the co-leader of the, the gang of boys all right never mind it's okay but it's too far off the beaten path but i do like that we delved into it a little bit they say knives i say knives they say yo-yos i say <laughs> slinkies exactly yeah. oh thank you yeah i love i love my sad story but <laughs> um so i guess just to wrap up well okay one more comedy duo my favorite comedy duo um bumping mics jeff ross and david tell Oh, okay, okay. I haven't. Gotcha. I mean, I love both of those guys, so I haven't seen you, that. Oh, it's on Netflix. It's uh, they do a thing together. It's great. Um, okay, but oh, I just thought album, of another one, but you want to move on, so we won't. No, no, won't. no, absolutely. Give me another I, one. Uh, John Dore and Rory Scovel uh, on Conan together. Look it up if you haven't seen it. Like, if you know John Dore, Rory Scovel, both hilarious on their own. They did this thing on Conan together. It's amazing. Okay. I don't want to spoil it. But Rory Scoville has an awesome improvised comedy special he put out recently. So all very cool things. Um, Now we've told everyone to check out every comedian but me. Like, look, there's a (laughs) bunch of other people. Don't worry about. I don't know if they can remember all those names, but but if there's one to remember... It's uh, it's Possum Pals with Megan Gilbert. Um, congrats on though. I love that album. And you also have a uh, upcoming show, uh, January twenty sixth at uh, Bard and Baker in Troy. It's a, it's a part of a series of shows called the Quest Buds, um, yes. which is a D and D based improv show, Dungeons and Dragons, for those yeah. who don't know. Um, and I guess what would you what would you tell prospective audience members about it? for the people who are into Dungeons and Dragons and for the people who aren't into Dungeons and Dragons. I I feel like you'll like it either way. I would say this, you don't have to know Dungeons and Dragons to enjoy the show. It's basically like a fantasy themed like improv show. We we do let the audience roll the dice though. Oh, that's uh, cool. We we give out there's three characters and we uh pick three audience members to roll for those characters. So there's an element of randomness. It's uh, Max Burke, Dylan Reese, Kaylee Stratford, uh, Will, William Hughes, and Tom Roberts, who is an actor I work with. I hope I'm not leaving. Aiden Hennessy is uh, doing tech stuff and writing stuff for it, too. So if you know the local comedy scene, all funny people. Yeah. No, I mean, it's an awesome idea. I really want to come check out a show because, like, I am a... Um you know, a big fan of Dungeons and Dragons from, you know, back in the day, I used to play with my, you know, some friends from back home. And, um, you know, I definitely would love to see, I guess, your guys's take on it as an improv thing. So I feel like even just hanging out with your friends and playing the game, it can be funny. But when you get a bunch of, you know, comedians together, it's like, it almost seems like one of the most natural templates you could use for improv. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's been really good. It's funny, 
Dungeons and Dragons has had a real resurgence in like the past. I think Stranger Things was a big part of that. Yeah. Like I would play in high school movie. The Dungeons and Dragons movie. Yes. Which I have not seen yet. That's right. Me neither. I forgot about that. Neither. Yeah. Here it's good. I've heard good things. I got beat up in high school for playing that game. (laughs) And now, now everyone's playing all of a sudden. It's cool now. Now it's cool. Yeah. Well, I, I, I got to make it out to the show. Um, and it, it's so cool that I guess you, you know, you mix the elements of the improv and, and, and you do the stand up and you, um, you know, you've done acting and podcasting and, and, and radio and so many different things in the past. I, I'm curious to get your perspective on this, um, you know, since you do stuff for acting crowds and comedy crowds and um, Dungeons and Dragons like crowds. I, I'm coming from music. So some like right. I've put together a few shows before where there's like a jazz band playing. And then right after I'm like, Oh, let's get the comics in and do an open mic after just so they have more stage time. But it's such a radical difference mm-hmm. when, yeah. you know, the ones I've done more recently that were actually like a show after music worked a lot more cohesively, but like turning, taking the jazz crowd and just changing it right over to comedy is such a radical change that I feel like not everyone is always on board for like, what are the most, I guess, interesting changes you've gotten to observe and like juxtaposing audiences that you've had to bring together. Oh man. Yeah. That is always a challenge. I feel like people are in general on board if they know what's happening. Like, it's just like, you don't show up, you know, like, and want ice cream and someone's like hamburgers and you're like i like hamburgers but i came in here to get ice cream and now i have to do this switch in my head i mean the hardest shows i've done is where like people didn't know there was a show happening at all (laughs) there's this great onion headline from like i don't know a decade ago where it's something like bar patrons dismayed by sight of bands setting up in corner you know what yeah. it's just like oh we were just having a and comedy's worse like if you're just having a nice meal and like are hanging out at some bar and grill in your hometown i've done shows like that where it's like it was a surprise for the audience they're like trying to watch the baseball game and suddenly the bartender's turning off the tv and some guys talking about tinder all of a sudden <laughs> they're like this is not what i wanted tonight even if so I would say just switching from just an audience who doesn't expect anything at all. That's the I feel you. That's why it's so good to have like a separate room to do it in. I like yeah. I always feel bad when I'm like taking the bar hostage. And I've had bars where it works, but it's like it, it just feels like, all right, everyone, stop what you're doing right now. <laughs> Cause I'm but, about to ruin. <laughs> yeah. Um how are we doing on time, Cam? I think we're about to time to wrap it up. I've, I've been seeing this. I've been seeing the wrap it up signal several times. There were literal oh, I, signs. Oh, okay. He wasn't popping up for me. That's my bad. I would have. It's Athena who's giving you direction. Yeah. yeah uh, well, let's. Uh, you're good. Uh, thanks to Brad Monkell for producing and bringing comedians in to this program and all his hard work week after week for these interviews. We really do appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you for having me. On, David. And thanks to uh, David Britton for coming on to the Hudson Mohawk magazine. If people want to find more about you, where can they find more about you? 30 seconds. I have a website, davidbrittoncomedy.com. B-R-I-T-T-O-N. Thank you again. Now we move on to our fifth segment. We end with poetry from our archives back in 2021. Andrea Cunliffe interviewed 
three artists ahead of these collective exhibitions opening at Color City Mushrooms. One of those men's were poet Jose Perez. Out of the Darkness. It's an exhibition for the artwork of artist John Zaccoli. And accompanying him on the opening night of this at Color City Mushrooms and at their art space, Kenyatta Manuel. But we have a really special guest with us today is Jose Perez. So I want to welcome yes. you, Jose, to Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys. Now, there's the three of you, all are good buddies. They all know each other. Yes. You all work together in your own way. You as a poet, musician, mm-hmm. and an artist. You support one another's work, which sounds terrific. How did you find yourself uh, interested in poetry? What made poetry your means of creative expression? How did that happen? So when I was a kid, I was, a, I was heavily into hip hop. And I was like one of those kids and from the inner cities that was aspiring to be a rap artist. When I became incarcerated, when I was incarcerated, I picked up on reading poetry. I picked up on reading poems from Alicia Keys, uh, her book, um, Tears for Water, uh, Tupac's, you know, The Rose That Grew From Concrete. And then I was introduced to Khalil Gibran, um, the prophet. I started writing poems, started converting my rap songs to poems and responding to other poems, you know, kind of like sort of like being in conversation with another poet. I started to do that. And then I started to kind of like reflect on my days and my life. And I started to talk about those things too. So I was already in love with the arts, you know, so I was already in love with one form of, 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 of poetry, you know, rapping and writing rhymes and stuff like that. And then I just fell in love with verse and lyric, you know, and and actually getting some formal education on it. You had some time to work on it. How do you describe your work? The way I describe my work is I don't put myself in a box. I like to think of myself as, you know, an emotionally intelligent poet, right? You know, someone who can take an idea and talk about it through a lyric through a sound, a taste, you know, hopefully you will experience something. So I think that I see myself as a person who writes for therapy. I write to heal. I write to also rejoice. I've written sonnets before. I've written slam spoken word pieces. I've written stuff for plays. Like we were writing a, um, we were writing a musical I wrote some lyrics for to, to be played with music, you know. So I don't put myself in a box. I like to write everything. And I especially love stream of conscious type stuff. You know, I love the stream of consciousness type stuff. I'm a fan of Allen Ginsberg. I'm a fan of Allen Ginsberg's How. And then I can go from Allen Ginsberg's How, I can read, you know, A Summer Night's Dream, you know, Shakespeare. And Khalil Gibran, are you familiar with Khalil Gibran? Right? Okay. So, you know, Khalil Gibran, that's one of my favorite poets, you know, and Rumi, you know, Rumi mm-hmm. as well. Like a lot of mystics in, in Middle Eastern poetry. I follow so many different kind of poems. One of the um, one of my, my mentors in poetry, her name is Janine Pami Vega. Janine Pami Vega was a beat poet out of the, you know, beat generation. She wrote Green Piano. And she 
she taught a class with Bar College that I took called Finding Your Voice. So I'm not sure if I found my voice yet, but I'm writing, I'm trying to write my way into finding it. A lot of the poets that you speak about have a strong philosophy. Yes. How you can remove your own personal anxieties or your feelings and move them into a more philosophical or socially viable um, concept or philosophy. And it, it, from the few things that I've read of yours, sorry, I haven't read more, but um, okay. the stuff that I've seen that you've written, it's like you, you've been able to, to combine the two self-analysis or self-discovery along with a philosophy and a responsibility to society. Yeah. Um, can you talk a bit about that? Well, coming so coming from where I'm coming from, I'm coming from a lot of trauma in my life, um, uh, growing up in foster care, bouncing from house to house, then ending up in prison um, for, for 20 years to life. Um, at a very young age, I was 16 years old when I landed myself in prison. Um, so institutions have been the, the reoccurring theme in my life since I was three years old, right? So for me as a poet, for me as someone who's writing down and talking about, you know, my interpretation of the world or my interpretation of a particular thing, um, it's more urgent for me to connect with it because I'm trying to, I'm trying to escape a reality that might be so painful, right? And I'm trying to go into a world where, you know, I'm feeling confident about myself. I'm feeling loving towards myself, caring towards myself, right? So in order for me to do that, I need to obtain a freedom and I need to tell the truth too. So when I write a poem, this is going into the world. So it has to be the truth. It has to be. I, you can't, you cannot, you cannot play with it because it, it's just not going to come out right and it's not going to feel right. So when I talk about my experiences, I wanted to talk about it from my experiences from the viewpoint, from the standpoint that I took away from society, right? And I know what it feels like to have been taken away from society because I've taken away from society. So now in order for me to stay with society, I need to make sure that I put my contributions into society. I need to make sure that what I do is to not only say, say that I'm sorry for what I did, but also show the action of how I'm going to atone for the things that I've done. You know? Wow. Yeah. Pretty, pretty heavy. Pretty good stuff. Yeah. Pretty good stuff. Do you think poetry has a social responsibility? Yeah, I think I think poetry definitely has a social responsibility. And I think that if you look at history, poetry has had a social responsibility. I mean, you look at the poetry that's in the Bible with that responsibility to the poetry that's in law books, to the poetry that's in everywhere around the city, everywhere around your community. You can go to any point at anything and you will find poetry. You know, you will look at the newspaper, you know, headings and stuff like that. People probably won't call a person who came up with a with a headline on the newspaper a poet, 
but it's it's using the same tools that poets use. If you look at an advertisement, you see poetry on advertising, you see poetry everywhere. Most importantly, you see poetry when the next president of the United States is being inaugurated into the office. There's always a poet there. There's always someone to bring transition into the next step, into the next moment in our lives. There's always a poet to announce it. Would you do us the honor of reading a poem for us? Absolutely. Let me, let me. Oh. I want to hear you. I wish I was me. I wish I was me. I wish I was a real. Hitting on a mosaic tiled high wall. Ten inches before the ceiling. In the back of every room. Random visions for random reasons. I take the chance to breathe to place your pink manicured fingers on my face. I like to be looked into, see if you can really see me. I see you in your evening dress you wear in the morning. You can see me blowing kisses or singing some warrior song, dreaming you up to be whoever I am in the mood for you to be. And usually it's always this one person. I wish you were dancing more, where your toes laugh, this shuffling giggle and your legs are synchronized with your eyes or with the tune of your spirit as trees sway to a windy day, its tip glows from the sun rays. I wish I can kiss you as much as the ocean does the shore. And I wish you were here, not where I reside, but where I dream. So you see all that's coming to us when I leave, when I soar above the gun tower and razor wire fences and dark corners become light, open fields. Open fields become places to dive into with no worries. No worries of a mirror looking back at me because you won't judge me. This has been Andrea Cunliffe for Hudson Mohawk Magazine. That interview by Andrea Cunliffe is from 2021 with poet Jose Perez. And that's our show. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm Sina Bazilahiki. And I'm Keelan Alexander McPherson. Our engineer is the lovely Sina Bazilahiki. We want to thank all of our volunteers who made today's episode possible. Headlines from Mark Dunley. Segment producers were Bria Barthel. Brad Monkel, Andrea Kunlis, and your co-hosts, Sina Bazilahiki and Kaylon Alexander-McPherson. We appreciate you listening, and thanks to our listeners for listening and supporting Grassroots Radio.